0: You have a Bible with you, pull that out, and we are going to be in the book of uh, James. If you don't have a Bible, you can find one underneath one of the seats in front of you. Um, If you don't own a Bible, you're welcome to take that home with you. That is our gift to you. And we are uh, walking through uh, the book of James over the course of this fall, and um, so uh, just encouraged by the practical and um, down to earth uh, real wisdom that we find here in the book of James. And, um, uh, this morning, um, we're going to deal with, or kind of talk about some things that, that kind of are probably, I'm guessing, um, prevalent or, or, uh, that are in place in our lives. And, uh, we want to deal with what we're going to call the root of the problem. Um, the root of the problem. I just kind of want to, uh, set up our time together, uh, with this sort of picture. If you have ever... Um, Experienced weeds in your yard. um, You've dealt with um, uh, weeds, then then you know that you have to uh, just pulling up the little green part on the top uh, won't do it, right? Like you, you need to get to uh, the root. There's this picture here um, of uh, of weeds. You know, if you've ever experienced something like this, like I hate these things. Um, We had a house one time that was just covered with these things, and I, for the longest time, um, could not, and I I lost the battle. I'm, I'm I'm disappointed to say, discouraged to say that I kind. I lost out against these weeds. They just kept coming back, kept going. Um, But um, that is one of the blessings of the Wisconsin winter is there are a few months that we don't have to deal with weeds here in Wisconsin, right? And so um, I remember one time, though, that my kids uh, wanted to surprise me and were helping out, and uh, they... uh, Got one of the buckets uh, from the garage and spent some time and kind of pulled up a bunch of weeds for me. And um, and then they they were so excited to show me. And they're like, Dad, Dad, you got to come and see. Me. We helped you out. And uh, we got got those rid of those weeds that you hate so much. And so I came out and looked, and sure enough, in this bucket was just all the little like big leafy green parts of the weeds sitting in that bucket. And of course, I, I know that they don't understand, but I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, that's adorable and that's so thoughtful, but that's going to do nothing to advance our battle against these weeds. Like they're going to come back like with a vengeance. They're just going to, you're just making them mad now. They're going to they're come back and, and be there because we know that if you don't get to the root, if you don't take out the root, whether you, know, you get some roundup on that thing or you dig that root out or whatever, you are going to have that weed coming back. And there is this morning for us in God's word, some practical and helpful wisdom that we need to deal with some of the weeds, some of the problems that we experience in our life. And I'm just going to tell you that, that what we oftentimes try and do with some of the issues or problems that come up is we, we kind of pick at and pull at those leafy green spots that we can see on the surface. And there's like problems that will surface or issues that will come up, and we just kind of deal with uh, some of the peripheral parts of it without actually getting after the root. So this morning, we are using God's word. We're going to see what God has for us, and we want to get after the root of the problem. Uh, Pastor Jeff last week uh, preached in the passage um, at the end of chapter 3 and um, helped unpack for us the difference between earthly and godly wisdom. In keeping with this same theme, James this morning is giving godly wisdom regarding the difficulty that we experience in this life. And we all experience problems, right? Because here's the thing, we experience the disorder that is all around us. And my guess is that there specifically, one of the issues that we're dealing with this morning is problems in relationships, particularly quarrels and fighting, disagreements, Here's the thing. If we understand the truth that God has for us in his word this morning, that we will be able to get at the root that is causing some of those disagreements. And we can then deal with it, not in a way that's going to pop back up and come back even worse, but that it's actually going to affect some change in these situations. Let me just do this. Let's start our time um, by, I just want to read the passage in its entirety. We're going to go through 12 verses in, the, in chapter 4, and then we're going to walk our way through it. So if you want to follow along in your copy of Scripture, we're in James chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. It says this, What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you do not have, so you murder you covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose that it is no purpose Uh, Let's pray before we go any further uh, in our time in God's word. God, we just ask that you will teach us uh, what you have for us this morning. Um, God, we long and desire to hear from you. We long and desire to have right and ordered relationships. Um, God, to experience uh, peace, God, to experience your peace uh, at play around us. And so, Lord, we look to you and the truth that you have uh, for us this morning. God, I pray that you would teach us, that you would give us ears to hear what it is that you have, and that we'd be quick to respond and to apply, God, all that you have laid out before us this morning. Uh, God, we um, look to you now, and we uh, listen uh, to your spirit now. We, we ask this, we pray this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, here's the thing. I think we're going to see uh, two sort of roots, prevailing roots in the problem um, that is at play here. Let me give you the first one. You can, if you're taking notes, write this down. Here's the first root: It's controlling passions, controlling passions. Let's go back and look at the passage together. In verse one, it says this, what causes quarrels, what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? Now, um, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but my guess is that all of us to some level have and are or were, will be experiencing uh, some level of quarrels and fights in the relationships that we have. Now, those could be small, they could be big, but there's not probably any of us that would put our hand up and say, you know what, I have never struggled with that at any point ever, and that all of my relationships are in perfect harmony and it is just good everywhere right? Now maybe there's some peace in a current relationship because you cut that person off and you're not talking to them at the moment, but that's not exactly fixing the problem either, right? So so we're talking about something that I think we all experience. We all have. We all experience these quarrels, these fights, and he's writing here to the church. So let's be reminded here he's not writing just to kind of anybody. He's writing to believers. He's writing to people who claim Christ and who are following Christ. And he's saying, obviously addressing something that has risen to the level that it's gotten back to James. And he's heard that there is some quarreling and fighting among the church. What causes these fights? What causes these quarrels? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? Some of your translations might say um, pleasures. Uh, There's a little note there in the Greek. It can also be translated pleasure. But here's the thing. Every time that word for passion is used in the scriptures, it is never used in a positive sense. It's always negative. It's talking about sinful, self-indulgent pleasure. And so there's something at war. There's this desire, this passion at war within you. You desire and you don't have, so you murder. Now, he's using hyperbole here. I think he's talking about murder, but he's not saying there's been like murders within the church. I think he's saying like full-blown, unchecked, if this doesn't get resolved, it's leading toward murder. I mean, Jesus was the one that said that that if you hate, the one who hates his brother in his heart, it's like you have committed murder against that person. says, you covet and you cannot obtain. You want something that's not yours. You can't get it. So what do you do? You fight and you quarrel. And he says, listen, here's part of the problem. You're looking in the wrong place. You don't have because you're not asking. And the idea around asking, it's not just asking anyone, it's asking God himself. The problem is what they're saying is you're looking for something that only God can give and you're not asking him, the one who can give it, for what it is that you're looking for. You're trying to get it from other people or you're trying to get it from situations. You're trying to get it from, from something else. And he's like, when you ask and you don't receive, the problem is, is that you're asking wrongly. You're asking with this personal, for personal gain. You want to spend it on your own passion. And so you see here this controlling passion that is at the heart of what is happening here. And it was a problem that needed to be addressed in the church. Now I would argue that I don't think much has changed um, since the time of James. In those early uh, century of the, the church, um, there was this arguing, this quarreling, this fighting. I think things are still like this today. Actually, I was kind of um, uh, I, I found I came across this quote as I was studying uh, from a 17th century Jewish philosopher named Spinoza. Uh, Let me show you this quote. This is what he said. again, 17th century. uh, He's looking at the church, and he sees this. He says, I have often wondered that persons who make boast of professing the Christian religion, namely love, joy, peace, temperance, and charity to all men, should quarrel with such rankest animosity and display daily toward one another such bitter hatred that this, rather than the virtues they profess, is the readiest criteria of their faith. Ouch, it's kind of a stinging indictment against the church there. And again, this is 17th century, looking at the church, saying, hey, these believers, these followers of Christ profess joy and peace and temperance, charity, love, and what are they known for? They're known for their quarreling and their fighting. It's this uh, display daily, this bitter hatred toward one another. And here's the thought that I had. When I came across that quote, I'm thinking 17th century century. I'm like, man, what if Spinoza was here today and he got on Twitter, right? And like, hey, Spinoza, check this out. And he starts scrolling through and he's like, who are these people? I'm like, well, some of them are Christians, right? You click on their bio, they say they follow Christ. Open up Facebook, you start seeing these posts, start seeing the comments, start seeing what's going on. It's like, man, I don't think much has changed, right? So what's going on in James, what's going on in 17th century, what's happening today is some that claim Christ, and not all, but some that claim Christ are allowing this, this bitterness, this hatred, this kind of animosity toward one another to prevail in the interactions that are happening. And so, what's driving the action? What's causing the fights? What's causing the quarrel? James gets right after. He says, Is it not this? It's your passions that are at war within you, it's your heart, it's the things that your heart desires. And we've talked about this many times before, but what your heart wants, right? The desires of your hearts lead to the actions of your hands. The things that the heart desires is is leading to actions that are demonstrable and visible. And so many times what we do is we try and address and kind of go after. So let me just kind of break it down for you. If there is quarreling and fighting in your life right now, it's easy to dismiss it as, well, that's just the way she is, right? Or that's just, he's always kind of been that way. It's my sister, right? It's my mother-in-law, it's, my, it's that friend, it's, it's that coworker, they're just always that way. And so that's why there's, there's this quarreling and fighting going on. And James is saying, no, no, that's not it. It's not just them, it's you. More than that, it's your heart. It's your passions. You want something, you're trying to get it, you're going about it in the wrong way. That's what's causing and creating these fights. And so if you wanna address it, you can't just sort of put a Band-Aid on it, or kind of pick up the leafy, visible part on the top, you got to go after the root. And the root is this, is that there is controlling passions at work in your heart. Your heart is driving your actions. Let me give this example um, just from something that's kind of come up quite a bit in our small group. Um, we've got a bunch of um, uh, parents of young kids in our small group. And so um, kind of the subject of um, of parenting, you know, young children has happened um, in our uh, in our small group. And so, um, we've used this example a, a couple of times but you know it's been like well what do you do when they're not listening or i get so frustrated right when they're not they're not listening and and i've shared that with it, with myself right that, that that's been kind of my story if you've if you're a parent of young kids you've parented young kids you know young kids like they have a unique god-given ability to get under your skin sometimes and to frustrate you to the point that you could just never think that something so little and so adorable that you love so much could make you so frustrated right And here's, if you kind of break it down, I'm just going to use this as an example. I'll tell you what's going on in my own heart. There are times that one of my children will come and they'll ask for something that is not outside of the realm of what they should ask for. And it's not outside of the realm of what I can give. But at the moment, dad is watching the game and I don't want to get up and I don't want to stop what I'm doing to take care of them. And so I'll say, no, you can't have that right now. Right, and then they'll come back and they'll ask again, hey, dad, can I get that? And it's like, can you help me with this? And it's like, no, not right now. I already answered you. Right? And I don't know, you know, depends on how 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 good I'm feeling, how like whatever, but you know, it might be time 3 or 4 they keep coming back. Now, now there is certainly discipline coming on, right? If if a if a answer has been given and you kind of know to kind of continue to ask, that's kind of that's not a that's against the rules in our house. Like once you've been asked, we say asked and answered, right? And you're not supposed to keep asking if you've been given an answer. But there are times that, again, they're asking for something really good. And I'll tell you what's going on in my heart is honestly, if I'm honest with you, is I'm just kind of, I'm being selfish at that moment. I don't want to do it for them. And so I'm upset. I'm frustrated. I'm just like coming down on them when really it's my own selfishness that doesn't want to get up off the couch. Now, I'm not saying we're at the beckoning call of our kids and anything they want. They get all the time. I'm just there to just wait and you guys ring the bell. I'm going to come running. Like, that's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying in the, there are times that I could and probably should help them out that I don't want to. See, there's the desire that's leading to the action in that relationship. See, other times, I'll be honest, that they uh, maybe aren't listening. And I might be frustrated with them, and the reason that I'm frustrated is not because I'm scared that they're disrespecting authority or that maybe they're not responding to God in the way that they should, or if they don't get this, this is going to lead to trouble later in their life. Sometimes, if they don't listen to me, I'm frustrated or I'm upset because they're offending my pride, Like, like, I'm your dad. You need to listen to me, Right? And so part of it is like, you, you're not responding to me in the way I, so there's like, my pride has been offended in it, and that's what's causing my reaction. You see how so quickly, it's not about them and what they're doing, it's actually about my own heart that's really leading my own reactions to this. And the reality is, we can take this, I used parenting as an example, some of you are like, that's not me, I don't have little ones, don't plan to, or I, you know, that's a long ways off, or, or those days are long gone, or whatever. Here's the thing. We do this in relationships all the time, right? You do this, if you're married, you're with your spouse, you do this with your coworker, you do this with friends, you do this with family, you do this with you know your roommate, whatever it might be, like we do this all the time where there's something we want and if we can't get it, it creates a fight, creates a quarrel, we're going to do whatever we need to do, we're willing to sin to get it. And there's something at war inside of our hearts. That's this controlling passion that he's talking about. Saying, isn't that where the fight is coming from? You want something you can't get, and so you're doing, you're willing to sin to get it. When really, really, you need to look to the Lord. You have because you do not ask him who is able to give it to you. And when you ask, you're asking selfishly, wrongly, to spend it on your own passions. You're asking for selfish gain. And the reality is this. As you look through scripture, we have tons of passions. There's there's things we desire, things that we want, things that, that we think are good for us. But the reality of scripture is this. It shows it time and time again is that we are to keep those passions in check. We are to control it. We are not to let them control us. So let me ask this simple question this morning. Are your passions controlling you or are you controlling your passions? Are you allowing the desires of your heart to control you? I want the status. I want the satisfaction. I want the break. I want the status. I want the promotion. I want that whatever it is, and you're willing to do whatever you need to do to get it. Is your passion controlling you? You know, one way to keep your passions in check is to see what's the prevailing attitude of your heart. Is it one of gratitude or is it one of entitlement? Do you know that an attitude, a position of gratitude um, leads to a greater gladness in your life, right? When you look around and you're, you see things that you're thankful for, you recognize the blessings that God has given you. You're like, you know what? I'm so thankful that God has given me this. And I'm so thankful for like this day today. I'm thankful for, man, the weather. The weather last night. Guys, we can do events outside. Like, God is, like, he's for us in that, right? So we had a good, like, to be thankful for that and to see that, right? The more that you're thankful, what does that do in your own heart? Well, now you're, like, more glad. And if you're more glad, then you start looking around and you start seeing more stuff, which makes you more thankful. And you're just, there's this kind of cycle that it continues in you. So it begins with this gratitude toward the Lord and recognizing the good things that he has done. It'll lead you to recognizing more good things that he has done. But what's the opposite? If you have this attitude of entitlement, when you look around and you're like, man, I can't believe they got that and I, I didn't. Why don't I have that? Why isn't my life that way? Why, why don't why my kids look that way? Or why is my job not that? Or why we start looking around and we start thinking this entitlement. And then what, what does that cause you to do? Well, now all of a sudden you're discouraged and so you're not thankful for the things you have and now you find yourself wanting more and more and more. And so that's just one way that we can keep these attitudes in check, these passions in check, is if we have this attitude of gratefulness for what the Lord has done. You know, you can point to committed, mature believers. If you've ever known someone who's stumbled in such an unexpected way, right, a solid follower of Christ that made a foolish, foolish choice, and you're like, how would they ever get to that spot? I never thought that they would do that. I can pretty much guarantee you that that came from a place of entitlement. They probably got to a place where they thought, no, I kind of deserve this or God kind of owes me this. And then they made a foolish choice. In that moment, they wanted something they didn't have and they were willing to sin to get it. That's what he's talking about here. This is where it's it's these controlling passions rooting from our hearts, which is leading us here. That's the first root. Here's the second one. It comes in verse four. (laughs) Look what James says. He says, you adulterous people. You're like, that's kind of harsh. You are right. It is kind of harsh, okay? Um, Good job picking up on that. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose that it is for no purpose that the scriptures say he yearns jealously over the spirit that he is made to dwell in? In us, here's the root number two. It's this: it's compromised relationships. There was two problems at play in the church that James is addressing in this passage. It's those controlling passions and then compromised relationships. Let's unpack the compromised relationships. He says, "Whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God." What does that mean? Well, let's start with the enemy of God. It means that you have made, you have put yourself in a position that you are hostile toward the Lord. You have taken a position of hostility against your maker, against the God of creation, the God of the universe. That is not a great position to be in, okay? Like, you don't want to be at odds with God. And so he's saying, if you are choosing to be a friend of the world, then you are choosing to be an enemy of God. That's not good. But what about this friend of the world? Aren't we supposed to be friendly? Like we just talked about being kind. Like if if we if we're kind of spitting out hatred all the time, that's not what we're called to do. Aren't we supposed to be friends with those who are in the world? Well, that depends on your definition of friend. Let's unpack that for a second. You see, we live in a day and we live in an age. We gotta like kind of understand how we use the word friend. We use friend very loosely. Um, I don't know about you, but I could meet someone and, and hang out with them a time or two, and then someone else would be like, "Hey, do you know so and so?" Like, "Oh yeah, like they're, they're they're a friend of mine, or I've hung out with them before, or something." You know, it could be very, and it's like, "Tell me something about them." And you're like, uh, "I don't know much about them. I just know, you know, the little whatever kind of window that we hung out in, or kind of whatever that was around that." Right? I have lots of um, uh, so in my world. I have lots of pastors that I would consider like friends, but I don't really honestly know them all that well other than the context that I've hung out with them or the little bit that I've sort of shared with them okay we also have I already talked about social media but we have social media friends right some of us have thousands of friends and if you were to kind of go through the list and start telling me about each of them you're like I don't actually know who that person is I don't know how they became my friend you know and 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 that so so we kind of use this word friend very loosely in the day that James is writing friend would have been a very significant like united relationship. There would have been shared, physical, spiritual, like they were doing life together. Um, There was a, a connectedness in this relationship. And the reality is, is that our Lego blocks are only so big. Okay, you might be the most outgoing, extroverted person in the world, but there's only so many spots on your Lego block for really good friends. Have you ever like, studied this? It's actually really fascinating. Like, we can only have a handful of really close friends. Um, we can have like, dozens of, of, kind of you know, close acquaintances, and we can know hundreds of people. But as far as really close friends that know us well, that we can share life with and really interact, and that we're part of their life, they're part of ours, there's only a handful that any of us, even the most extroverted person in the room, can really handle. That's what he's talking about when he says, you have made a friend with the world. The church, people in the church, brothers, sisters, they've made friends with those that are far from God. And what he's saying here, he says, listen, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? You have chosen this act of hostility toward God. Why is he hostile toward God? Well, that's why he says this thing he says. He says, You adulterous people. What does that mean? He's not saying idolatrous. He's saying adulterous. He's saying you have betrayed the marriage covenant, right? That's what adultery is. It's betraying the marriage covenant. God has expressed himself towards his people as the husband to a wife, to a spouse. He referred to Israel that way. He refers to the church that way, that God is um, a loving, committed spouse in a relationship. And what he's saying is is that when you make friends with the world, you are going out and you are looking for something that God is supposed to give you and you're getting it from somewhere else. He's like, this is adultery. And so you take these limited uh, kind of interactions and, and the places that you have, these friendships, you kind of put people that are far from God in those places you're making friends with, the world, he's like, that is a betrayal against the God that made you. Do you not know that if you make a friend with the world, you make yourself an enemy of God? Do you suppose that it is no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us? He is a jealous God. And that's a word that we often use in the negative. It is oftentimes, if you are jealous, oftentimes it's petty, it's selfish, it's it's controlling, it's, you know, we're kind of not great at being jealous. God has every right to be jealous over us. He has breathed his spirit into us. He has given us our, the spirit of creativity. He's given us his Holy Spirit. If you are a follower of Jesus, he's given you his spirit. And so he yearns jealously over you because he has made you. He has every right to be jealous for you and the relationship with you. And what's going on, again, in the church is these controlling passions, these compromised relationships. James is calling it out. And I just wonder, for you, is that maybe where there's a root of problem in your life? Is there compromised relationships? This maybe happens in the workplace, right? You're looking for status. You're looking for validation. You need a partner. You need somebody. Like, and so maybe you compromise and you allow someone to become more than just an acquaintance more than just someone who you know well, but, but actually begins to influence you and to speak into your life and to kind of shape you and, 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 and change you. This can happen at work. This can happen. I've seen this so many times in dating relationships. I've seen a young man, young woman who loves the Lord and they're ready, they wanna find a spouse. And so they're faithfully waiting for a spouse that loves the Lord as much as they do. And then time passes, and it doesn't come as quickly, and so they start, like that standard just kind of starts going down and down, and they're like, you know what, if they'll come to church, that's enough, like that's all I need. Whereas scripture warns against that and says, listen, if you're going to be in a relationship, if you're going to pursue marriage, if you're going to get married to somebody, and they don't, the Lord, Jesus Christ is not their Lord, and guiding their steps, like The two are not to be put together in that way. I've heard it said that it's like heaven and hell climbing in bed together. Like that is not supposed to happen. And I would go to this verse to encourage and to warn against that and say, listen, if you're saying, because again, what are you saying if you're a follower of Jesus? That he is the most important relationship in your life, right, that he is worthy of your passion, he's worthy of your attention, he's worthy of, of your devotion, and then you're going to try and make a covenant and, and join together in marriage with somebody who's saying, yeah, I don't really care about that at all. It's just not gonna go well. And so I would caution against like being friends with those that are far from the Lord. Again, we are kind, we are loving. We can, you can have really good acquaintances you can hang out with, you can pursue, you can get to know. God tells us to do that. Jesus did that, right? He knew all sorts of people that did not follow him, but the who was his friend's? Well, he had the 12, but even inside the 12, he had three that he really invested in and that he was spending time with. I think we can look to the life of Jesus and see the example. Can I just, those of you that are waiting for a spouse, it is worth the wait to find someone who loves Jesus more than they love you. All right, you wanna find a spouse? Find someone who loves Jesus more than you. Why? Because then Jesus is their savior, not you. You're a terrible savior, all right? You're gonna let them down. Married people, am I right? Right? You're gonna let your spouse down. And so if they're looking to Jesus to be their savior, then you're in much better shape. If they're looking to you and you are the greatest thing in their life, then you are setting them up for disaster. Like it's just, it's going to happen. So it is worth the wait. And so the question that I would ask you with this is are there compromised relationships in your life? Are there people that are investing, that you are allowing to invest in you, that are shaping you, that are changing you, that are not a friend of the Lord? that are far from the Lord? And on the other side, are you investing, are you taking your time and investing in people, like in those close, committed relationships that are far from the Lord? He's warning against this. He's saying, look, it's adultery. You're hostile toward the Lord. We shouldn't take that lightly. Those are big words that he's using there. He's using strong language to make a point. And so here we are. Now, this would be a really discouraging, disappointing message if at this point we were to kind of close up and like, okay, we'll see you next week, right? Because we've got these controlling passions, these compromised relationships, and we're like, okay, great. I got roots. I got weeds in my garden. I know I got to get after the root. What are we doing with them? Tell me there's some hope coming. Tell me there's some good news coming. All right, I got good news. Look at verse 6. Here it comes. This is one of the best verses in the Bible. Look at verse 6. But he gives more grace. Like, you've got controlling passions, you've got compromised relationships, got good news for you, God gives you more grace. It says that he opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And so here's the solution. You want to deal with the root? You want to deal with these things? Here's what he says. He says, submit to God in humility. This is the solution. This is the roundup that we're looking for, okay? Some of you don't. You're like, I don't like roundup. Got to go natural. Well, then I want to kill the weeds, okay? I'm going Roundup, all right? So submit to God in humility. That is how we get after the weeds. <laughs> My mother-in-law, she uses this like natural stuff, and whenever she comes, she's like, oh, you shouldn't use that. And I'm like, how are your weeds doing? She's like, well, they're still there. And I'm like, yeah, mine are all dead. That's why I, <laughs> I use something that works, okay? So we're not eating off of it. It's just, it's what it, it's, it's just the way that it is. Okay, this is Roundup. This is going to work. He says, submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, purify your hearts. There's three parts of this. If you want to submit to, the, to God, this is what it looks like. The first part is this. It begins with resisting the devil. He says, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Is this not good news? Some of you think that the enemy is stronger. He's not, okay? He that is in you is stronger than he that is in you. The world. And so if we resist the devil, he will flee. He actually, um, I heard it described recently like this. I'd never heard this before. Like his attacks will pop like a soap bubble. How hard is it to pop a soap bubble? Not very hard, okay? You resist the devil and he will flee from you. In the Lord, with the power, with the tool that he has given you in the spirit, you can resist the advances of the devil. Now I know some of you are like, man, I've been struggling against something for years. Why is it not gone yet? Why is it not done well, there's a whole lot of parts with that. I would say um, very uh, easily, it's, 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 we still have to continue to do that, but he gives a way of escape, right? That's what the, the promise is, that with temptation, there comes a way of escape. So you need to continue to resist. If you look back in the times when you've fallen, you probably haven't been resisting in those moments. He says, resist and he will flee. Don't let the enemy have his way, take control. And then, secondly, how do we submit to God in humility? Well, we draw near to God. We draw near to Him. Look at this promise draw near to God, and He will draw near to you. Some of you, maybe that's the message you needed to walk out of here today with. Some of you feel like God is so far off. I want to tell you, He is not. This is a promise that you can underline, that you can um, remember, that you can take with you this week. Draw near to God, and He will draw near to you. That is a promise. God is not far off, and he will respond. How do we draw near to God? Well, I think there's several ways that we draw near. Most primarily is in the word of God. And I just want to say something about that for a second. You know, so many times it's like, man, I want to get into the God's word. I know I should get into God's word. I want to, I want to be, I want to know the Bible. Here, it's great if you want to know the Bible, but can I, can I challenge you to take it a step further? When we draw near to God, what we're doing is not just knowing the Bible. We are knowing the God of the Bible. We're trying to read scripture that we can know the one who wrote it and who gave it to us. And so you can draw near to God by reading the pages of scripture and seeing his works, his hand, his attributes displayed here. The other way that you can draw near to God is by engaging with people of God. It says where two or three are gathered here, there he is also. His presence is in and with his people. And so as you gather together, that's what happened even this morning as we're praying for one another. I know many more of you probably wanted to pray, and you're like, man, I you can see and sense and, and recognize the Spirit of God when you are with His people. He uses that to draw you near to Him, and He draws near to you in that. And here's the third part here: It's is this is that we would get serious about the sin in our lives. Resist the devil, draw near to God, and get serious about sin. Notice the strong. This is one of the strongest calls to repentance that we have in the entire New Testament. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify hearts, you double-minded. James isn't being judgmental. He's trying to be honest. He's saying, "Listen, we are sinners, separated apart from God, and we need to. We need our hands clean. He's like, your hands are dirty." You have sin on your hands and you need to wash them. Your hearts are dirty. They've been marred and marked by sin. You need to be cleansed. You need to be purified. How do you do that? Well, repent. He says, be wretched, mourn, weep. He's like, see your sin in the same way that God does. God is broken up by your sin. We need to be as well. Because what's the opposite? We're calloused and, and, and unaffected by it. We're like, well, it is what it is right? That's just who I am. But the promise of scripture is this, is that we can resist and we can draw near to God. We are purified through the blood and the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. That is where forgiveness is found. And so we are broken over our sin. And what do we do? We stop and we turn around and we go the other way. He says, let your laughter be turned to mourning, your joy to gloom. Humble yourself and what? And he will exalt you. This last part here, let me just kind of quickly look at verse 11. He says, do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against another brother judges his brother and speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. He's like, who are you to point out the error of others? He's like, you are a sinner yourself. Who are you? He says, there is only one lawgiver and one judge. And it's not you, it's he who is able to save and to destroy. Who are you to judge your neighbor? He's saying, listen, we need to be serious about sin. We're not worried about the other person, right? So this morning isn't about somebody else. It's not about, oh man, I'm really glad the church is listening. Oh, I wish he or she were here this morning. I wish they were listening to this part. It's no, 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 it's you. You need this this morning. I need this this morning. We have controlling passions, compromised relationships. And what do we need to do? We need to submit to God in humility. We need to acknowledge that it is affecting us. It is destroying us. And if we don't deal with it, it's going to take and and put a wedge in our relationship with God. And so we respond. We draw near to God, and He will draw near to us. Here's where I want to just end this time uh, this morning it's this. This is the good news of the gospel, right? Let's go back to verse 6. He gives more grace. He opposes the proud. He gives grace to the humble. Listen, all of us, there is a free offer on the table for anyone who would receive it this morning. If you already know Jesus as your savior and you recognize some of these patterns or kind of this propensity to sin, he's writing again to people in the church and it's a call to return to what they know. And so this morning, maybe there needs to be some repentance. That's not a word that we use often in the church today. I think we have moved away from this this attitude of repentance. Listen, church, if we are following Jesus closely, I think repentance is something that happens on a regular basis. I I don't think there's that many days that we should not be repenting of something. Why? Because we return to our sin over and over again. We make foolish choices. And so what do we do? We repent, and then we remember, but there is more grace. There is no way that you can out-sin the grace of God. There is nothing that you can do that is going to be too big for the blood of Jesus to cover. And I can say that with confidence this morning. No one is outside of the grasp of Jesus Christ and beyond his reach. And so if you know Jesus, would you respond to that that message of hope that you first responded to? And I would say this. I would invite you, if you have never responded to the gospel of Jesus, if you have never acknowledged him as Lord and Savior, if you have never said, Jesus, I am... I'm a sinner in need of a Savior, and I believe that you are the Savior, that your blood covers my sin, that your resurrection gives me new life. I want to believe in you today. Then your eternity can be changed. You can find life in Christ even today. That is the gospel. God gives more grace. It is a free gift to any who would receive it. God has made a way And I love this, right? He says, whoever makes himself a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. What did God do toward his enemies? He gave more grace. In that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He died for the ungodly. Do you see the picture? He didn't wait for us to get all cleaned up and fix ourselves up and get everything kind of in order and right. And then he received us. No, we were still shaking our fist at him, still hostile toward him, still an enemy toward him, and he went to the cross for us. Guys, this is why we worship our God. He is so, so good. He's so, so gracious. He's so, so loving to us. We are not deserving of this kind of love, and this is the love that he shows us through his son, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the free gift that we find, that we know in your son, Jesus. God, thank you for dying. Thank you for coming. Thank you for raising our dead hearts to life. God, we say it often around here, but you did not come to make bad people good. You came to make dead people alive. God, thank you that we can find new life in you. And so, Lord, this morning, we want to respond to our sin in the same way that you see it. God, would you break us over the things that we turn to? God, the way that we run away from you? God, we want to be wretched over our sin this morning. But then we know, Lord, in our spot in our place of humility, God, that you exalt us, you lift us up, You call us to a new path, to a new life. God, to hope that's found in you. And so, God, we look to you and we rejoice in the truth and the blessing that's found in you. God, thank you for your goodness. God, thank you for your love. Thank you for your kindness to us. We pray this in the name of of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen.